We are wrapping up our series titled Fearless. Fearless is our word for Shelter Cove this year, really asking ourselves the question, what would we do? How would we live if we weren't afraid? Our verse for the year is Joshua 1.9, where God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So we're wrapping up our series today. You're in for a special treat. Today we've got a guest speaker. He's one of the senior pastors from Bayside Church up in the Sacramento area. Uh, Ethan is an awesome husband. He's an awesome father. He loves Jesus, and he's a phenomenal communicator. So will you please give a warm Shelter Cove welcome to Ethan Vance. Come on, church. Hey, brother. Hey, come on, Shelter Cove, let's make some noise for Jesus this morning. Like he changed your life, like you love him. Come on. Hey, let's also do this. I would love it if you would put your hands together and show some honor and love to Pastor Jeremy and the whole Shelter Cove team. They've been awesome. We have loved hanging out with you guys this weekend. Love the series you guys are in. Also, really cool, my wife is with me this weekend. She doesn't always get to travel with me, but she's here this weekend. I'm playing Where's Waldo in the crowd. There she is. Come on, put your hands together and welcome my wife, Sarah, to church this morning. Ah, she's my best friend. Love traveling with her. In fact, we were driving out of our driveway yesterday, and uh, she just said something so nice. She said, I, I love that I get to go on this trip with you. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. I'm the feeler in the relationship. She's the thinker. And so I was like, oh, that's so nice. And I was just about to say, yeah, we've got a couple days, no kids. This is going to be really neat. She didn't let me say any of that. She said, I'm so glad I get to go with you this weekend because we get to drive in the carpool lane all the way there. Come on, where are all my practical people at? Like, I love you. But the real reason I'm glad to be with you is we get to make really good time on the trip. So, uh, so we're, we're having fun this weekend, hanging out with everybody. Love the series you guys are in because I really do believe that when we live life without fear, God can do amazing things through us. You probably got some message notes when you walked in. You can pull those out. In fact, I think the team is here also. If you need a Bible, we'd love to give you one. So if you don't have a Bible you'd like to follow along, you can raise your hand. Uh, we'll pass one of those to you as well. But Jeremy asked me to share one very specific message with you guys this weekend. It's really kind of a life message for my wife and I, something we've lived out over the last couple of years. Uh, we got one more right up here. Two more right up here. Do I get three, four, five? Here we go. Uh, so my wife and I really, we, uh, Jeremy may have mentioned this. I don't know if he did in this service and the other services. We moved recently from Oklahoma to California because we just decided God spoke more clear on the West Coast in the beautiful weather. Come on. And so uh, so we moved out here to be part of the Bayside family and lead a church called Adventure. Uh, and it really has been just that, an adventure. And we've seen God show up in some miraculous ways and do some really cool things, not because we're amazing, but because God's amazing. And I'm just more convinced in my life now than ever before that God has a purpose for our lives, that there's a reason God puts you on planet earth, not just to be born and have some experiences and die, but there's a reason God puts you here. And when we discover the purpose that God created us for, not only does our life come alive in new ways, but it also moves the kingdom of God forward and impacts people. But here's the problem. Far too many of your friends, your family, people you work with, even followers of Jesus, even people in this room are living life doing things that they think are their purpose in life, but really it's just the next step up what you might consider the ladder of life not connected to their purpose. And I love the picture of a ladder because it's a beautiful picture of what I think spiritually a lot of people look like. They're climbing a ladder 
but they're climbing to the middle of an empty room. A ladder is a very specific tool. A ladder is something you get out when you need to accomplish something. Very few people just on a Sunday afternoon for fun get out a ladder and climb it. Am I right? It's like, that's weird. But the ladder is designed to help us accomplish something specific. But unfortunately, I think when God looks at many people's lives, he sees people that are focused just on the next rung on the ladder, never stopping to ask the question, God, where do you want my ladder? And it's easy to do because we love the idea of moving up. It's that moving up is good. We talk about moving up the corporate ladder, getting ahead in life. We don't like the idea of moving down. And make no mistake, God wants good things for your life. This is a good thing. You're going to build a life. You're going to buy things and spend money and have a career and have jobs and make friendships and build a family. Those are all good things. But the question is, do we know what purpose we're taking those steps toward? What's at the top of the ladder? What am I climbing toward? Far too many people just take one step at a time, focused on the next thing. When I get that job, I'll feel like I moved up. When I get that raise, that feels like it's my purpose, just to accomplish the next thing. When my boss notices me, when, when that person, that, that guy, that girl finally recognizes me and I have a relationship, and after four years, he finally gets down on one knee and proposes, like, finally moved up on the ladder. When my kid gets to be the quarterback on the football team, our shoulders go back and our chest goes out. I feel like I've moved up in life and I got the position, and my kids learn to read before my sister's kids and I get to post about it on Facebook, feel like I moved up on the ladder. And I am deathly afraid of heights. So every time I do this, I just go, God, please, I'm trusting the production team that they tested this ladder. So I'm up here, no harness, no safety net, just me and the Holy Spirit. Amen. But if my wife tells me there's a light bulb out in the kitchen, and I go to the garage and I get the ladder and I take it to the living room and I open it up in the middle of the living room and I start climbing the ladder, my wife is going to look at me like I am crazy. Because the purpose that I needed the climb for is disconnected from where I am. I needed the climb to get to the light bulb in the kitchen, not just to climb in the middle of the living room. But I think when God looks at far too many of us, this is what he sees. People climbing only to get to the end of their life and realize I climbed to the middle of nowhere. I, my, my efforts, my progress was disconnected from my purpose. Christians are a group of people that ask one very important question, and it's not, Jesus, help me get down off this ladder without falling. The, the question that Christians ask themselves is simply this, God, where do you want my ladder? Before I climb, before I build the life that you've called me to build, where do you want me to climb? Where do you want my ladder? And throughout the Bible, we see stories of people that found God's purpose and they, 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 they moved their life to follow God's purpose and they shot, they showed, God showed up in a miraculous way. That's what my wife and I have experienced, and I believe it's what God wants for every single one of us. And the reason that I tell you this is because I want to talk today about the one ingredient that followers of Jesus have that nobody else has to do this. Everybody else that you work with and your family, in fact, if you work in the corporate world, you're around people all of the time that are doing everything they can to figure out how to get ahead. And there's nothing wrong with that, taking personality profiles and talking about how you're wired and your experiences and your background and all of those things. Those are all wonderful. But Christians are people that take all of those things that everybody else does and we add one very specific ingredient to it called spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the power of God. This isn't in your notes, but I'd love for you to write this at the top. Spiritual gifts are the power of God to help you accomplish the purpose of God. The power of God to accomplish the purpose of God. But here's the danger, is that when we start talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, especially if you're new to church or maybe you grew up in certain denominations or groups of churches, it can get really weird really fast and it can be easy to get it twisted. 
God gives spiritual gifts to his people so that you have supernatural power to accomplish his purpose. Not so that you can make a spectacle out of yourself, not so that you can do things that are spooky or weird, but so that you have the supernatural power of God to accomplish the purpose of God. And throughout the Bible, we see that the very, this is not a new idea, the very first New Testament writer sat down, the disciples, the apostles, to help the first church understand this because they saw God showing up in miraculous ways, miracles and healing and provision and miraculous stuff. And they were trying to understand what does this mean for us? How do we follow a supernatural God in a natural world? And here's what the, the, the apostles wrote over and over again. They write about these spiritual gifts. And I love one synopsis that Peter, one of the first disciples, gives when he writes his first letter. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says this. Peter writes, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter says that there is a gift that you get from God that is separate from salvation. It happens at salvation. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you have to try to you know, manufacture on your own. But when you become a follower of Jesus, not only does the life of God begin in you, resurrection life, your heart is changed, your past is forgiven, eternity is secure, but the Holy Spirit implants in you a very specific spiritual gift, and we don't all get the same gifts. And this is this was a kind of a new idea for the first church. The Holy Spirit shows up, and they're trying to figure out how this works. And so Peter says, this is something the Holy Spirit gives you, and I don't want you to misunderstand this. So there's all this writing about it, and it's a deep well. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just talking about this. But today, I just want to ask you four questions, give you four questions that will help you understand what these spiritual gifts are so that they're not misunderstood and help you discover what your spiritual gift is so that you can use it. Because ultimately, that's the purpose, is so that we're moving toward the gifts that God has in each one of us. So here's the first question. First question in your notes is this. Does every person have a spiritual gift? Now, this is a really important question because when you look at the Christian community, the church of God, it can be easy to see certain people with public gifts and assume that, well, preachers have a spiritual gift, and maybe people that, you know, have prayed for the sick and they've gotten better have a spiritual gift, and maybe, you know, my grandma, who was super spiritual, has a spiritual gift, but I don't know that I have a spiritual gift, and throughout the Bible, the writers echo what Peter wrote, which is each person has a spiritual gift. Not some people, not just a handful of people, but each one of us has a spiritual gift, and here's why this is so important that you understand this, is because you and I live in a very skeptical culture. And the skepticism that you and I are living around is only growing and getting higher and higher. In fact, I think my boys, your kids, will grow up in a more skeptical culture than ever before because at the, at, listen, every day I have access to news, immediate notifications. Every time a political official, a CEO of a corporation, a judge, a celebrity, fails, lets us down, said one thing to get elected and then didn't live up to that later on. An argument between people in high office, both sides of the aisle, arguing over who's right and who's wrong. Can you think of any examples of that? People that have let us down, been indicted, and we start to become skeptical of things that were once taken for granted, that authority has our back and will live up to what they're supposed to do. But because we live in such a skeptical culture, it's very easy to take the skepticism that we see around us and start to apply it to God. Does God do that? Can I really trust God? And make no mistake, the skepticism we live with is earned. 
We're not skeptical because we're bad people. We're skeptical because people have let us down. But if we're not careful, we start to take that to God and go, I don't know that I can really trust God. I've seen so many examples of this. In fact, one of them, you may have seen this recently, Volkswagen, the car manufacturer, got in trouble, had to settle a massive lawsuit because they claimed a certain emissions scale for their vehicles, and when they tested it, it didn't live up to this. I love this sign. Don't you wish everybody that made you a promise had like a Pinocchio nose, something in real life where you could tell whether or not they were telling you the truth? New Balance uh, had this happen to them, the shoe company. They claimed that a particular model of their shoe would help you lose weight and get in shape until they tested it and they realized, no, it's just a shoe. That's all it is. So they had to settle a massive lawsuit because they claimed one thing and didn't do it. It's not just major manufacturers. In fact, here's a, a, a story I found of a guy who was shopping for houses, and this is the house that he saw advertised online. So he got the house. He goes, it's actually in another country, goes, shows up to the house, and this is what the house actually looked like when he, when he gets there. What was advertised didn't quite live up to reality. But it's not just big purchases, it's small purchases. Have you, do you find yourself doing this? The more stuff we buy online, like through Amazon, you find yourself reading the reviews to find out what am I really buying here? I was doing this around Christmas. Here's a guy that bought a Christmas tree, and this is what actually showed up at his house. Not what was advertised. The Grinch Christmas tree company sent him a tree. Merry Christmas, kids. It's going to be awesome. Christmas must be a really popular time for this because here's a company that packaged Christmas candy and sold it. When the guy opened the Christmas candy, here's what he found, the Easter bunny. Now, I think this is incredibly unethical, but also awesome. Like, whoever came up with that idea deserves a raise. I mean, they moved all the old Easter candy, sold it all. It's a great idea. I love this one. This isn't necessarily somebody selling something, but this is a house where they're saying, you know, keep out, warning, we've got a guard dog. And here's the actual dog back behind the sign. <laughs> not, not exactly reality matching up to what was advertised. Now, here's the question. In a world that's like that, Easy to say one thing and not keep your word. Easy to make a big promise and underdeliver. Is that true of God? Did God promise you, hey, listen, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you these gifts only to make you weird or spooky or confuse you or give you something that he didn't give somebody else or give some of us cool gifts and others of us not. No, when God says, I'm giving each one of you a spiritual gift, what I want you to have faith for and trust is that when you gave your heart to Christ, the Holy Spirit joined your story and put something on the inside of you that everybody else needs. And if you don't have faith for that, if you don't believe that, you will go through your life taking steps on a ladder, thinking you're living a natural life and missing out on the supernatural power of God at work right where you are. So let me give you three misconceptions that I think sometimes make this hard to believe. And here they are, three misconceptions about spiritual gifts. The first is that spiritual gifts are for perfect people. This is not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible, what Peter says is that these gifts are the manifold grace of God. And when we see Peter use that word grace, the Greek word that he's using is the word charis. It's where we get the term charismatic. It's the idea that we are carriers of the charis, the grace gifts of God given to us. And what that means is these are gifts you did not earn. You didn't measure up. You didn't do enough to make God happy with you, so he gave you a spiritual gift. Preachers and people you see on TV and amazing extroverted communicators are not people that God is super happy with, and so he gave them a gift like a cosmic gold star. a boy, a girl, you're great. You crossed some line that made me happy with you. No, when you gave your heart to Christ, the grace of God met you right where you were. And you might say, Ethan, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done, the people I've hurt, the relationships that have failed. It is a gift of God to you by his grace. It is not fair. It doesn't make Makes sense, but that, that's what makes it so beautiful. 
is it's God's gift to you of grace saying, no, because of my love for you, I'm giving you this gift. It is grace. But it's not just grace to you, it's grace through you and grace on you, meaning that when you operate in your spiritual gift, there's just a grace about it, a peace and an ease with it. There's certain things that you do in your life that people look at you and they just go, man, how do you do that? That's just, that just seems so easy for you. How do you, how do, you, you know, do that particular thing? That's grace. It's the grace of God on you. Spiritual gifts are not just for perfect people. The second uh, misconception is this, is that spiritual gifts are the same as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, especially if you're just starting to read through the New Testament, this can be easy to get mixed up. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul lists in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? The easiest way to understand the difference is just this. Fruit of the Spirit shows my maturity, but the gifts show my ministry. What does that mean? As I follow God, fruit should grow on my life just like a tree. When a tree starts to grow, it grows more fruit. Same for you and I as we follow Jesus. As the more we follow Jesus, the closer we are with God, the more we should grow these things like love, joy, peace. People should say about you next year, he's more loving. She's more, he's more joyful. She's more joyful. People should say about me, Ethan is just more patient this year than he's ever been before. Why? Because I'm growing in maturity. The fruit is growing on me more and more. But that's not the gift of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are for your ministry. In other words, what God wants to do through you to bless other people. The third misconception is this, is that spiritual gifts will make sure my life goes smoothly. It'll guarantee life goes smoothly. And those of us that have been walking with God for a long time say, not a chance. That's not the way it works. In fact, the reason that I think this uh, derails a lot of people is because they think, okay, I'm going to start following God. I'm gonna start walking in what he's called me to do. I'm gonna start being a blessing to other people and then tough things happen. And we go, what did I do wrong? Where did I miss it? If I'm following God, things should be going better and better, smoother and smoother, but here's the reality of following God. God gives you a spiritual gift because God is a redeemer. We live in a broken and fallen world and your gift is designed to help turn part of the world right side up, to help redeem something and bless something. So when you encounter brokenness or difficult situations in your life, it's not a time when we go, God must not be happy with me. That's the time we should rejoice more and go, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be because God gave me a gift to turn this situation around for the good. And that's, that's why it's important that we understand spiritual gifts do not guarantee life will go smoothly. So question number two is this. Why are spiritual gifts so important? I've talked about this a little bit, but let me give you three really practical ways that I think spiritual gifts are super important. Number one, they elevate your purpose. Why are they important? Because they elevate your purpose. There's going to be a highest thing in your life that's gonna make decisions for you. It's gonna make decisions about how you spend your money, where you live, what kind of relationships you have, how you raise your kids. What is that for you? What's the highest thing for you? When you understand God gave you these spiritual gifts and you start to go, okay, so if God gave me that and Peter says I'm to be a good steward of it, then it starts to make all the decisions for me in my life. I love, one of my favorite pictures of this is a story of a guy named Eric Liddell. You know who Eric Liddell is? He was the uh, famous Olympic runner, won the gold medal in 1924. In 81, they made a famous movie about his life called Chariots of Fire, and it won the Academy Award. Beautiful movie. Uh, but he wins the, wins the gold medal. Uh, he's a national hero. He's from the UK, Scotland specifically. And after the Olympics, he can go back to Scotland as a national hero. And they interviewed him after the Olympics, and this is what he said. Beautiful quote, many of you may have heard it before. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but I also believe he made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What is he talking about? He's saying that when I live out how God made me, I feel not only God's pleasure, but I also feel the supernatural power in my life. 
But here's what the rest of Eric's quote that I love. Most people don't know this second part. Is he says, this is, I've loved the Olympic experience, but instead of going back to Scotland as a national hero, he said, I believe God made me for China. My purpose is to go to China. Where my ladder is supposed to be is over in China because I have some very specific gifts like Liam Neeson and Taken. Everybody have a very specific set of skills. And they're needed in China. And so he moved his entire life ministry to China and made an incredible kingdom impact. Why? Because he understood that he wasn't just an Olympic hero. He was a, a son of the most high God with a spiritual gift that was needed to bless other people. And when you understand you have that spiritual gift on the inside of you, it starts to elevate your purpose. That's how you make decisions in your life. The second thing it does is it expands your potential. It expands your potential. What does that mean? It can be easy for us to get blinders on and just see our life, the next rung on the ladder. And that's okay. We all have things we need to take care of, bills we need to pay, conversations we need to have, stuff we need to take care of. We got to go to the grocery store sometime, right? That's okay. But if we start to, if we don't understand we have this supernatural gift, then that's all we see. But when we start to understand this, it takes those blinders off and it starts to help us see all the places that God wants to use our gift. My wife got to experience this firsthand this year. She went to Cambodia as part of a trip with our church. A couple of the pastor's wives went over there to visit a, uh, a ministry that started out of our church, the church that I'm a part of. Uh, there was a couple, precious couple, Don and Bridget are their names, and they were sitting in a service a lot like this, hearing a message a lot like this one, and they started to have this stirring in their heart going, we just came back from Cambodia and there's an incredible problem with human trafficking over there with these young ladies and we believe that God has given us specific gifts to make a difference over there. So because they had this stirring in their heart, it got their eyes off of just Sacramento, just California, just the United States. They said, where does God want to use this gift? Where is the best place for me to use this? It expanded their potential. God has more people for you to bless than you realize if you start to understand that you have this spiritual gift. And then number three, it eliminates both your pride and inferiority. Understanding these spiritual gifts eliminates both of those. The kingdom of God should be a group of people. We should be people marked, not by just a few people that have gifts being celebrated and promoted and elevated, but all of us being celebrated for the unique gifts that we have. The, say, the way we say it in our church is nobody act big, Nobody act small, everybody act medium. Like we're all in this together. It's not just the person on stage or the person singing, it's every single person that uses their gifts to make us better and the family of God. So here's, here's the third question then. So what and where are spiritual gifts in the Bible? If they're important and if they matter that much to my life, then what are they and where are they in the Bible? So here's what I've done. In your notes, I put a bunch of, this is like I said, a deep well. We could talk about this for a long time. Many of you have been in church for a while and you've heard a lot of this. You don't need me to go over all of it. But if, especially if you're starting your journey in this, I put all this in here and I would just encourage you, read through this. Maybe just in your quiet time with God, just chip away at this. Read a couple of these lists each day. Because here's why. I don't want you to just think in a world of personality profiles, a bunch of pastors got together and said, okay, how can we capitalize on that and talk to our churches in the same way? No, no, no. From the very beginning, this was a tradition in the church that people understood, no, no, I have a spiritual gift from God and it's up to me to discover it and use it. But I want to draw your attention to a couple really key passages quickly and they're, they're, they're this. And I love what Paul writes in, in his first letter to the Corinthian church. 
And he writes three important chapters as he's going through spiritual gifts. The first is chapter 12. And if you've read that, you know there's a picture in there of the body. This is, this is the idea that spiritual gifts help us work together. We each have a different part. And like parts of a body, when we each use our gifts, it brings us together. In a world that's divided, understanding spiritual gifts should bring unity into the family of God. And then in chapter 14, he, ta- he says this, and I love this. He says, spiritual gifts aren't just so that we like each other. And so we sit around at a campfire singing kumbaya with arms linked, smiling at each other. No, there's a purpose, something we're supposed to accomplish. Spiritual gifts don't just make us like each other. They make us effective in our ministry when we each use our spiritual gift. And then right in between there in chapter 13, those of you that have read this, you know it's a famous chapter. It's called the love chapter. This is the chapter where Paul says love is patient, love is kind. Why does he put that love chapter right in the middle of this conversation about spiritual gifts? Here's why. Because if we don't understand that love is the motivator for us to use our spiritual gifts, we will hurt people with good intentions. We will try to accomplish things for God and we'll miss the fact that the whole point of spiritual gifts is people. Blessing and reaching and helping people. The whole reason you have a gift from God is because God loves people and he wants to use you to demonstrate his love to other people. And Paul says to the Corinthian church in the middle of a Roman empire that was very selfish, very self-centered, he was helping them understand what love really was and why God gave them a gift to express the love of God. And when we start to understand that the love of God is the thing that sets us apart, think about the culture we live in. We live in a world that basically when someone does something for somebody else, it's, it stands out like, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like you, you, people are skeptical when we serve them, when we go out in our community and we serve and we do outreach. Why? Because most people that you know do things with some kind of string attached, some selfish motivation. In fact, I found this story, beautiful story, totally went viral. Maybe some of you saw this, it was on late night shows. Uh, there's a grandmother that starts a text thread because she's having her first grandbaby and she's so excited. And so grandmas did, the grandma did what grandmas often do. She included somebody wrong on the text message. She put a number in there wrong or something and this random guy gets included on this big family text thread. She says, we're having a hot, we're at the hospital, we're having a baby today. She's dilated between a five and a six. And that random guy says, congrats, LOL, but I think someone got the wrong number. Grandma totally ignores the guy. This text thread goes on and on and on and on and on. Toward the bottom of the text thread, she sends a picture. Seven pounds, 11 ounces, so excited. And guy, guy says, well, I don't know y'all, but me and the boys will be through to take a picture with the baby. Now, this is awesome. This guy from hours away gets a couple of his buddies. They go get some gifts, show up at the hospital to take a picture with the family at the hospital. <laughs> now, I love this. This goes via, it's all over the place. People are laughing and celebrating this. Why does that warm our hearts? Why does that make us laugh and make us feel good? It's because it is so rare for us to see people do things with no strings attached. When somebody does something, it's like, why would you do that for me? Just because, because we love you. This is supposed to be the mark of how spiritual gifts are used through us, is that we go, God gave me this, it's a gift from him, and I'm just gonna use it to bless you. I don't know what I can do for you, but I'm just gonna use my gift to bless you. No strings attached. And Paul says, when that's how we use our spiritual gift, everybody gets blessed. So let me give you five categories of spiritual gifts. Okay, there's a lot, as, we, as you go through all those chapters that I have listed there, you're gonna see this broken down a lot of different ways. I like this way just because it's easy for me to remember the acronym GIFTS, G-I-F-T-S. There are guiding gifts, influencing gifts, fellowship gifts, Task gifts and support gifts, what are those? Guiding gifts are simply this. Guiding gifts are given to make things happen. These are people that want 
results. Where are all my result-oriented people at? You're like, there better be a better bottom line next year than this year. Our bar graph better be going up and to the right all of the time. If you're a results-oriented person, you're built for leadership. You're built to make sure that things get better in the future so that we don't all just you know, hang out with each other and have a good time, but we're actually making progress and being effective. My wife is wired this way big time. If, she, if something's not happening, if there's not progress, she starts to get frustrated. Why? Because she has a guiding gift. In fact, the other day we were driving down the highway and you know sometimes they'll close off a lane of the highway with orange cones and then you're driving by it for a couple miles and you realize, wait a minute, nobody's working on the road. Anybody else get frustrated by that? I don't care. I'm just like, they told us to drive in this lane, I'm driving in this lane. My wife starts to get really frustrated. We're driving down this road, and finally, I can tell she's starting to fume a little bit. She throws up her hands, she says, ah, if I was just in charge of the roads, to which I died laughing, interrupted her and said, what do you know about roads? What do you know about gravel and asphalt and concrete and stress and tension tests and drainage and depths? What do you know about any of that? She stopped me, she said, I know one thing, if I was in charge, we'd get it done a whole lot faster. That's a results-oriented person. That's a guiding gift. Now, here's the danger. Very often, someone with the guiding gift, when they're in a role that's serving another leader, sometimes we can look at people with guiding gifts as just being annoying. Like, what is your problem? Just do your job. Stop worrying about the bottom line. We're going to get stuff done. The thing to understand is that people with the guiding gift are there to help make sure we make progress, but they're not the only gift. That's why God's given also the influencing gift. These are groups of people that communicate and they want to rally people. This is kind of the bullseye of my target. My spiritual gift is right here, evangelism and teaching and preaching. Why? Because I, I'm just wired by God, given the spiritual gift, I want to see more people included. So if there's people that aren't at our house and we're having a party, I'm like, man, call Tom and Jane and get them over here. And I haven't talked to them in a while. Let's get people. Why? I just want more, 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 more people, more people. Why? Because my gift is to rally people together. But do you see why you need the guiding gift so that the rally makes sense? Why are we getting everybody together? I don't know, just because we should. We should have lots of people here, right? You need both to make sense of it. The uh, rally people are people that like a big party. If you're, if you're like that, like just more people, more people. But they're not the only ones. The next group of gifts are fellowship gifts. These are people that want healthy relationships. A great way to think about it is this. The people with the influencing gifts like me, the rally people, if I go to a party, I just want to talk to everybody. I like being a fly that kind of skips on the surface of the pond. Hi, 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 hi. I love that. I love that. Fellowship gifts are the people that want to sit down at a table, look you in the eye, and hear your story. Oh, I just want to talk to you. So if you have a fellowship gift and you leave a party and you're like, ah, I didn't really get to talk to somebody at the party. I'm the opposite. I would, I would leave a party and go, oh, I didn't get to talk to everybody, right? So people with the fellowship gifts, mercy and hospitality and pastoring, the gift of healing, these are people in God's community and in your family that make sure nobody falls through the cracks, that everybody's loved and cared for, and we don't get so big so fast that we miss this. And if that resonates with your heart, you probably have a fellowship gift. But there's also a group of people that have what are called task gifts. These are people that want to do it right. If that's how you're wired, you're like, if, we're, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. These are finishers. These are people that like, why did we start that and never circle back? Is it done? Is it finished? Very often, these are people that are great craftsmen because they like to paint or sculpt or build. Why? God gifted you and wired you to be a finisher, to make sure things get complete. These are 110% people. If that's you, you probably have a task gift. And then the last are support gifts. Here's why these gifts are so important. They complement the other gifts, and they have a motivation to reinforce all the other gifts. 
The danger with support gifts is that very often they can feel overlooked and forgotten. But these are the gifts that animate all the other gifts. The gift of faith is a great example of this. If I have a gift of faith, I'm the kind of person that says, God's at work, great things are gonna happen, God is gonna do something awesome. What's God gonna do something awesome with? Oh, I don't know. That's why you need the guiding gift to go, the guiding gift, Pastor Jeremy would have the guiding gift. He's the guy that that would say, here's where our ladder ought to be. Here's where we ought to put it. Then the people with support gifts are the ones cheering everybody on as they're climbing the ladder going, God is great, trust him, take more steps, do more, take more ground, let's do things bigger. The support gifts animate and bring life to them. And it's important that you understand, number one, what all the gifts are, but two, what your gifts are and how they work so that we don't misunderstand how the body works. Let me give it to you this way in a story. Uh, imaginary story. This, uh, this afternoon, uh, we're all going to go over to Jeremy and Kelly's house for lunch. This would be an awesome party over at their house for lunch. This would be awesome. This would be my kind of party. Let's just pack their house full of people. And let's pretend Kelly... Uh, decides spaghetti would be a great thing to make for lunch. So Kelly's going to make spaghetti for us. She gets out her best china. We're all laughing and enjoying this party over at Kelly's house. And one of us drops our plate of spaghetti on Kelly's white carpet. Now, yes, okay, so every time I say that, there's certain people that gasp. Those are the people with the cleaning gift. They're like, oh, my gosh, get out the resolve. Okay, what's your name? Nathaniel, okay, so Nathaniel, welcome to church, you're going to be glad you sat on the front row, okay, so Nathaniel dropped his plate on Kelly's carpet, now it wasn't your fault, someone ran into you, it wasn't your fault, it wasn't your fault, okay, when this happens, all of us stop, turn to Nathaniel, and we all have a different response based on our spiritual gift, the person with the gift of mercy kneels down, oh, Nathaniel, I'm so sorry, how's your heart, buddy, you okay, can I pray for you, let's pray right now, Lord, Thank you for Nathaniel. That's the mercy gift. The mercy gift doesn't care about anything else but Nathaniel's heart, where he's at personally right now. Now, the gift of leadership doesn't see Nathaniel at all. The gift of leadership is over in the corner going, how did this happen? Did somebody get this on video? I want to make sure this never happens again. That's the gift of leadership. The gift of administration jumps up and goes into full-on tell people what to do mode. You know anybody like this? They have the spiritual gift of being bossy. Grab a broom, grab a dustpan, grab a mop, grab a rag. Somebody else grab my plate of food. Because some people with the gift of administration, it's not that they're antagonistic or that they're abrasive. Sometimes it can be interpreted that way. It is that in an instant, God's given them a spiritual gift to see things clearly to see how lots of people can get involved to make a difference. That's the gift of administration. The gift of giving says, here, Nathaniel, take my plate. You can have mine. Hey, let's all give Nathaniel a little bit off of our plate. We won't miss it. Nathaniel will have spaghetti. We'll all be happy. That's the gift of giving. The gift of encouragement says, Nathaniel, get back up. Try again. I'm going to go in the kitchen with you. We're going to get another plate. I'm with you. You won't drop this next one. Your best days are in front of you. The windshield, not the rearview mirror, baby. Let's go get them. That's my spiritual gift. I love seeing people try again. Right? This, and so I told this story at our church, and uh, one of the guys stopped me in the hall. He said, Ethan, there's a problem with your analogy. I said, what's that? He said, the spaghetti's still on the ground. That's the gift of service, right? The guy that goes, hey, can we clean it up? Are we good? We're done? Can I go ahead and get this? That's great. Somebody stopped me after the first service and said, Ethan, let me tell you how this would really go. Kelly would make Jeremy clean it up. <laughs> so that's, what is that? The gift, the guiding gift. Kelly's got a great one probably, right? That's awesome. But here's the, here's the danger and I think this especially happens in churches all too often, is when we see each other responding differently 
to what God is doing, we turn against each other instead of working with each other. You've seen this happen in churches over and over again. In fact, inside of this church, inside of my church, every church, the potential exists for this to happen. For me to see the church through one very specific lens and see how God works and go, we should be doing more of this. We should be doing more mercy work. We should be slowing down and loving people. We should be, others are gonna say, we should be doing more outreach work. We should be doing more outside of our walls. You're going to have an opinion about the church. You're going to have an opinion about worship, about the messages, how the sermon series are structured, about the ministries, about the building, the facility. You're going to have opinions about all of that. Why? Because you have a spiritual gift. And you see things, just like we saw at the lunch party, you see things about the church. The danger is, if we don't understand that those are designed to complement each other and work together, then the person with the mercy gift that cares about Nathaniel is looking at the person with the gift of leadership going, how dare you judge Nathaniel? He's a precious man of God who dropped his spaghetti. We love him. But the person with the gift of leadership is going, why are you stopping? There's stuff to do. Why are you slowing down? Why are you taking time with Nathaniel? And if we're not careful, we see each other as being on different teams instead of seeing it from God's perspective. Zoom out for just a second and see that dinner party like the church from God's perspective. If we each use our spiritual gift in this simple example, then somebody is with Nathaniel while he's going through this. Somebody's loving him and caring about him and slowing down and holding his arms up through this situation while somebody else is giving him their plate of spaghetti so he has a new one. Somebody's rallying people to make sure it all gets cleaned up. Somebody's over here in the corner making sure it doesn't happen again. If we all use our gifts and understand they're working together, it's a beautiful thing. It's not bad that we have different perspectives and different ways of thinking about it. It's awesome. But when we turn that against each other, that's when church splits happen. That's when people start backing away from God's work and going, man, I don't see things the way you see things. Maybe this isn't the place for me. The church would be a miserable place if it was all filled with one gift. But too often that happens. Churches stagnate and they stop because it's one church full of just a bunch of mercy people, loving people with no gift of leadership going, I love you, you love me, I love you, you love me. Somebody else has to do something at some point, right? We need each other's gifts to keep us balanced and whole and healthy. Have you discovered your spiritual gift? Do you know what it is? Do you know how it works inside of Shelter Cove? Have you deployed it? Are you using it? If not, the church is missing something because God gave you that for a purpose. So the last question is this, how do I use it? How do I use my spiritual gifts? This is really, really simple. Three very simple steps to use your spiritual gift, and here they are. Number one, you have to activate your gift. The Bible tells us that God gives us the gift. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift, but the Holy Spirit will not turn the light switch from off to on with your spiritual gift. You have to do that. God won't make you, and I can't make you. It's your choice alone whether or not you're going to do it. Will you go through your life with this being dormant, or will you make a spiritual decision to turn it on? And how do you do that? By putting it into service. What does that mean? Your gift is directly connected to blessing and serving somebody else. I'll say it this way. You are not using your spiritual gift if you are not serving somebody. Your spiritual gift was given to you to serve somebody. If you're not using it to serve, you're not really using it yet. You activate it by serving. And when you do, you will see in this church, in your family, in your relationships, what happened in the book of Acts. You will see God show up with his power. How do I know that? Because in the New Testament, it says that God gives those gifts. And in every one of those gifts, it's him working. Not us. We're just the vessel. It's God working. 
When God shows up, miracles happen. When God shows up, relationships are restored. When God shows up, a city is changed because people are living a God-honoring life, putting him first by serving each other with their gifts. It's a beautiful thing. But you know me. I told you earlier, I'm scared of heights. I don't like to jump. I don't like, we did, I, I grew up, I was the kid that you couldn't talk, to get, talk into getting up in the tree or climbing on top of the shed. Anybody like that is like, no, nah, thanks, I'll stay two feet on the ground. But I had friends that were constantly climbing on top of stuff. They were jumping off just to see how many bones they could break. Anybody like that? I have friends, they love to do stuff like this. They love to go out to like find cliffs and jump off. Anybody would do this. You say, yeah, I would totally do that right now. Would you just put a gentle hand on their shoulder and pray for them? Something is wrong with them. There is a wire loose in their life. But if this wasn't dangerous enough, you can, you can jump off of it pretty much anything you want if you just put on a parachute. You can just, now think about, think about this for just a second. Somebody packed a backpack and told you it would save your life when you jump off of a building. Think about how stupid that is. Jump off, pull a cord, and hope sleeping bags and canteens don't fly out of the top of it. Now, some of us would do this. In fact, I know Jeremy and Kelly love to do this. I have a picture from their last side having trip right here. Now, first, first of all, don't mess with Kelly. She's yoked. I didn't realize that. She's... she's but here's why, here's why I love this, and here's what I want to leave you with. At some point, Jeremy and Kelly decided to jump. They decided to say, God, if you want to use my spiritual gifts at Shelter Cove, they're all yours. And because of that, the family grows. Because of that, we have a church with a guiding gift and a pastoring gift, and that's, that, that, that's a beautiful thing. But God wants to do that in your life, not just theirs. And here's my quote for you. I think, personally, life is lived best with very little jumping, except when it comes to saying yes to Jesus because you can trust him. He gave you that gift. He knows exactly how it works. And when you simply say, God, I'll take the steps to discover my gift, to put it into practice, God will show up and do what only he can do. That's where we get the stories of healing. That's where we get the story of people's lives being restored and redeemed all through the book of Acts. Why? Because God's desire is to show up in people's lives. And he uses our gifts to do it. Honest to God, miracle working power in your life when you discover and deploy your spiritual gifts. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for the chance that we have to be reminded of this incredible truth, the rich tradition that this has in the church. Thank you for helping us demystify it so it's not weird or spooky, but it's, it's a gift given from you to us, and you are the giver of great gifts. If you gave us these gifts, we know we can trust them, and that when we open them, they are beautiful and powerful and special. Help us each to do what we need to do to put our gifts into practice. And this morning, God, if there's anybody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, maybe they've never given their heart to you, they've never crossed that line of faith, would you help me to find them and bring them home to you? This morning, just quickly, with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody stirring, I know we all have places to be, but just for a moment to respond to God. If you're here and you say, Ethan, I love everything you've said about what God wants to do in my life, but the truth is I haven't started. I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you say, Ethan, I did at one point, but I've drifted away. I've made some mistakes. I'm not where I need to be. And if you gave me a chance today to come home, I would take it. I would love to restart my relationship with God. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I would not do that for anything. I would just love to know who you are so I can pray for you. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Either one of those two calls, just slip it up and put it right back down. In every service, we've had a handful of people that said, yes, yes, I see that hand. You can put it right back down once you slip it up. Just slip it up, slip it right back down. I see that hand. Anybody else that would join these say, yeah, that's me, Ethan. I see that hand. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for your bravery. Man, that's awesome. This is a special day for you and your relationship with God. Anybody else that would join these, I don't want to get in such a hurry that I miss you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. That's awesome, guys. I'm going to pray. 
And this morning as I pray, right there at your seat, would you just kind of repeat these words at your seat? There's nothing magical about them. You don't even have to get the words exactly right. Just a way to say with your mouth what's happening in your heart. Just say this, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I believe he died and rose again so that I could have new life. I put my faith in you. I ask you to forgive me and help me have a brand new start. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Hey, come on, let's put our hands together and celebrate with every person that raised their hand, prayed that prayer. That is awesome. Thank you guys for letting me be with you. Thanks, man. Hey, can we appreciate Ethan, you guys, for being here? Awesome, awesome message, Ethan. Hey, a few things before we leave. If this is your first time here, we'd love to meet you at our Welcome Center right outside in the Ministry Mall, connect with you, your family, and uh, just get to know you a little bit better. Also, our prayer team will be up front. If we can pray for you, encourage you in any way, that would be awesome. Let me lovingly challenge you with one last thing. Spiritual gifts are awesome when we understand what they are and we utilize them. Growth track happens at 11.30 every week upstairs. You can go to the 10 o'clock service, go to growth track afterwards. We will give you a free lunch. Uh, you will utilize your spiritual gifts. Your life will never be the same. Now, you can call, you can uh, email the church, or you can just show up. We'll feed you lunch and it will change your life. So whether you've been here for a week or 10 years, we want everybody to go to Growth Track and really understand and utilize their spiritual gifts. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Can we praise God just one more time for everything that he did today, church? God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend.